0: You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged.
1: Listener supported WNYC Studios.
0: Hey, it's Kai. And I want to share a conversation from our archives about the culture of policing. We're, of course, still following the story in Memphis of the police killing of Tyree Nichols. This is, yet again, a story about the police killing an unarmed Black person who doesn't appear to have had any reason to be interacting with the police in the first place. And while we were covering one of the many previous cases of this nature, I talked to a former police officer, Mark Claxton. He's now the public affairs director for an organization called the Black Law Enforcement Alliance, and he's a vocal advocate for reform. But he spent two decades serving in the New York Police Department, and based on that experience, he says his former profession must either, quote, evolve or die. We spoke in April of 2021. Take a listen. Mark, thanks for coming on the show.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you so much
0: for the invitation. So you first joined the NYPD in 1985, which was more than 35 years ago now, and a very different New York City. I just wonder what drove you to join in the first place? Like, you know, what were you facing then versus what you faced toward the end of your career?
1: That's a great question. What compelled me to join the NYPD was my my mother. My mother's desire for me to have a good paying job with benefits long-term. And uh, I remember as a young man with her saying to me, you know, oh, you have an opportunity to retire in 20 years. You have no idea how big that would be. And I didn't at the time. But that was really the motivating factor. That's what really drove me to take the exam. Literally, she drove me to take the exam. Of course, like so many other people, I, I have a strong desire to help and assist people. That's every cop's answer but that also played a role. But the determinant factor was my mother's uh, motivated me to do that for the security of it.
0: I have to ask Mark, you know, as a black man uh, who is a former police officer in a moment where we just keep adding to the roll call of black people who have been killed by police. And now this week, here we are, we have yet another in Minnesota. I just wonder how you process that, how you, how you just what, what is on your heart with that?
1: Um, I, I feel like so many other Black people feel. I feel vulnerable. I feel susceptible. I feel more in danger with every killing, you know, than I've ever felt. I mean, I really feel it. And, I, and I, I'm concerned. I'm concerned for my family. I have sons. You know, I have other family members so my feelings and, and, and part of the, there are advantages and disadvantages to offering commentary on so many of these cases. The advantages I get an opportunity to, to really give some professional perspective to them and to speak to my community specifically about some of the dangers we're facing and some of the dynamics within law enforcement. But the disadvantage is that. When it's video, I get to see it over and over and over again. And it seems nowadays, you know, it really has increased my level of fear and concern for my greater community and, of course, my family.
0: Yeah. Well, thinking about all those years you spent on The Force, two decades, you know, that's a long time. I I wonder what, if anything, changed in the culture of policing over that time? Did it shift at all from the beginning to the end of your career?
1: You said something that's key, and that is the culture. And since you know, I've concluded my career with the NYPD. There is not much that has changed police culture. It is still as uh, insulated, as us against them, as no one knows what we do except for us. Uh, you know, we're mm-hmm. against the world. We defy everything that's outside. Any instances of reform, any suggestion about reform or change or update or upgrades. The culture itself, the clickishness of it still very much exists. It preceded my career and uh, it has um, continued up until this day from what I can see. Um, I don't think I realized even during my time in the NYPD how strong and how just how toxic the culture was that would prevent any significant or substantive reform. I don't think I grasped it. And there were incidents that occurred throughout my career that I thought, okay, well, this will definitely change things or this will make a difference or this will change that behavior or that policy. And then when I saw that it didn't happen, regardless of how egregious
0: and crazy it was. What do you think that's owing to the the sort of stasis in culture in that way? So, because anything else over the course of, 30 years, you know, uh, journalism has certainly changed. Uh, I think probably almost every profession, people would say, yeah, the culture in my place has changed a lot. Why why do you think that's true for policing, that it doesn't change?
1: Well, I think it's because other professions have uh, national standards and other professions are constantly evolving to stay updated and current. Uh, Other professions consider outside input and are influenced by outside factors, uh, policing and the profession of policing really remains quite insulated and isolated. The way police look at it is only police know what police do, what police should do, Mm -hmm. and how police should do things. So it's a very different culture. It's not a typical profession yeah, and, and and that's a shame, to be honest with you.
0: I wonder about how all of that then shows up just sort of in our interactions with police, our individual interactions with police. Um, over and over again now, we're talking about cops who get afraid and then someone gets hurt or killed. And I, have to, I genuinely can't understand it. I mean, this is the person who has the gun gets afraid. Um and it feels easy to say, well, okay, they're racist and we're con- they conjure monsters and goblins and they then need to kill those monsters and goblins. But how do you, can you help me understand the mindset of a police officer in a moment when they show up on a scene that might lead to these kind of violent interactions we keep talking about?
1: Well, to be honest with you, fair is, is quite normal. Fair is a, a regular companion with police officers on the street. Um, I've had a lot of uh, assignments that are considered to be just dangerous assignments. There have been many times throughout the course of my police career that I was fearful. The challenge or the requirement of being a professional police officer is how you manage that fear, mm. how you interpret you know, the events around you in real time, and how you can keep clear head and make wise judgments and assessments in the midst of the most you know, chaotic uh, or dangerous situations. That's the skill and the art of professional policing. What happens too often is that individual police officers go into situations with perhaps fear, along with ignorance, along with bias, then make decisions based on their general beliefs as opposed to what stands before them. And then Uh, A point that I've been making for several years is that we can't ignore the fact that a lot of police enforcement is race based. So if you start off with race based enforcement and then you include in that an individual who goes into a certain level of bias, fear, concern and kind of this stubborn defiance in doing things a particular way. To all of these type of people, you end up with the tragedies that we have ended up with, you know, across the nation.
0: You're listening to my conversation from the spring of 2021 with former NYPD detective Mark Claxton, who is now a vocal advocate for police reform and a leader in the Black Law Enforcement Alliance. Coming up, I ask Mark how the stubborn culture he describes inside policing should inform any ideas about reform, and what can actually create change. That's next. So that stubborn defiance you talk about, it it makes me ask just some fundamental questions about reforming police when you have this kind of culture um, that you've described, and like what kind of reform is actually possible, given that culture. And, you know, in the past year, certainly, we've seen this such a shift in mainstream conversation about policing, and it feels like a lot more people just at minimum agree with the idea that police are involved in far too many things, regardless of how they do it. There's just too, we have too many police and doing too many things. Do you agree with that?
1: Yes, I do. But I come from a mindset. I'm comfortable with reimagining uh, policing. I'm very comfortable with it. And I believe it's necessary to do that in your professions. There is evolution. When you know better, you do better. If there is a better way You seek that better way. Sometimes that better way decreases your role in society. Sometimes it increases your responsibilities. But I have no problem with reimagining police because when you think about it, most of the calls that you responded for as a, a uniformed police officer in patrol deal with, you know, motor vehicle accidents or people who need medical assistance. And you go in there Or if the building is burning down before the fire department gets there or while the fire department is there, you respond to that. There are a lot of areas that could be handled by people who don't necessarily carry guns, who don't necessarily Mm -hmm. come with the history and the stigma attached with their appearance. If you delegate some of the responsibilities that are traditionally police responsibilities, you have less interactions with people. You have less opportunity for the police to stop someone uh for a, a relatively minor traffic infraction not even a crime and somehow this incident during interaction turned into a fatal shooting or a choking right or, or a strangling so i, I, I reimagining police is not only necessary. It's going to, it, you know, the, the reform is going to come in one form or another.
0: How how far does that go, though? Right? Like, I mean, what about the natural extension of that idea, which is that, like, well, we don't need a, mo- we do, we can do better than policing as a model for dealing with our problems in society altogether. We mm-hmm. can just start yeah. over and not have cops. What about that?
1: Well, understand, I come to this with a certain bias and that is because i had a full career in, in law enforcement but i like i said i've had many conversations with people who lay out for me you know who who posed that question and who boxed me in uh, just as a matter of fact 2 weeks ago melissa harris perry who used to host on on msnbc
0: we've had uh, her on the show
1: she she posed this question to me and kind of boxed me in to think about it what well, do you really need the police my reflex of course is well yeah, in some capacity, you do need because there are dangers, et cetera. Uh, but I'm open to analyzing and looking at those areas that don't necessarily require a uniform presence with a firearm and uh, the potential danger. And what's sad about that is that the police have put themselves in a position where people are even considering whether or not you're needed, you're necessary, they, because of their actions and their refusal to even change or modify their behavior and their decision to place certain communities, particular communities of color, in increased danger has caused people to say, mm, you know what, you may not be worth all the
0: trouble. And what's caused people, I mean, certainly for me, part of what's driven me to that is, you yeah. know, there have been so many efforts at at technocratic reform and so now here we are after this shooting in Minnesota, where an officer accidentally drew their gun instead of their taser, and we're debating, like, what's the best way to make officers draw their taser instead of their gun? It just seems absurd. And the question in this for me is, like, is with all of these failed efforts at reform, is it not reasonable to get at a point where we say, well, maybe reform's not possible? Maybe there's something about the culture of this thing that just makes it unmovable.
1: It is reasonable to question that. It is reasonable. Uh, Now, that's where the police will oppose you, because for them, it's not reasonable to even consider it to have that discussion. But is it reasonable to have it? I think that it is. Nothing changes unless you incentivize or you penalize. That's it. Mm. It's very simple. So if you have whatever reform idea that you want to move forward built into it, better be incentivizing it. Or penalize in non compliance with it. Otherwise, it is a failure. It will not work because that police don't understand any, they don't understand negotiated settlements and arrangements and modifications mm. to the way things are. They don't even want to even address or deal with or even learn the history uh, of policing. They don't want to know it. It's not relevant to them. So that's interesting. Reform- even
0: on amongst amongst police officers you feel like there's not this this hunger or desire to know oh this is this is what my where my profession came from and what it's about. That,
1: that curiosity doesn't exist and, and, and part of the reason is because toxic police culture takes that out of you that yeah. curiosity. What matters is right mm-hmm. here, right now, us here. That it you know it it's it's cultish in in many ways. There's no curiosity to learn origins of it, because if there was, I would have learned it day one in the police academy. Or right now, there would be police academies uh, teaching the history of of police and, and, and their slave-catching origins. But there's no incentive mm-hmm. to learn in those type of things because they're so busy protecting and defending this toxic culture that they have to exist in.
0: What is the one... I, I It's a silly question because there's not one reform, but if you say you got to penalize and incentivize, what would that look like? What would, what, what would be the sharpest version of that?
1: I tell you, the, the, the elimination of qualified immunity is, is kind of big, even though it, you know, it's a civil remedy. But whatever that one thing is, it's hard to, to go against a, an entire profession. But if you have individuals within that profession feeling increased vulnerability, increased susceptibility to penalty, then you will see uh, behavior modification. That's why it's important when you have police officers who engage in conduct under the color of law that you arrest them, you prosecute them, and you sentence them. Because others look at that and go, whoa, wait a second. That's not the department losing a million dollars or the taxpayers paying $30 million. That's Joe going to jail next to the guys that he used to arrest. Yeah. That that will modify behavior in ways that you can't imagine. And then there'll be some people who say, I'm not going in the long I'm not going to police now because I you know, I went I was going in for a particular reason and I don't want to leave myself open to that type of penalty.
0: And maybe those are the ones we don't need in policing in the first place.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's exactly right. And that's why you have to really you have to enforce penalties. You have to is public about it and is clear about it and you really have to enforce penalties. That changes everything.
0: Mark Claxton is the Public Affairs Director for the Black Law Enforcement Alliance and a former NYPD detective uh, with 20 years of service. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you.